take your Bibles to, and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. You know, we can have a lot of fun talking about marriage and relationships, and it ought to, it ought to be fun, because if you can't laugh about certain aspects of it, you're really going to be in trouble, because uh, the relationships that God puts us in always have challenges, and challenges bring about funny things and tough things, and and, and you know, really some things that are just make you discouraged and and make life kind of hard. And so what we want to do is, is take a few weeks here and invest into uh, relationships from a biblical perspective. And, and I want to bring, bring some thoughts from Ephesians chapter 5, a very common chapter. I've preached out of this with you before. But there are some foundational principles that I know will help make every relationship that you have better. And why would we do this? Well, if we look across the landscape of of marriages and families, uh, especially in our culture, and that's where we're most familiar. Uh, families and marriages are in trouble. And that's kind of an understatement, isn't it? They're really in trouble. Uh, people are, are growing up now in homes that don't have really a, a, the basic understanding of marriages and, and from a biblical perspective. And then they're forming new marriages and they have no recollection and no foundation of truth. Uh, they're basically forming them out of the cultural uh, things that they see on television and things that other people tell them and, and doing everything based on their fleshly ideas and fleshly thoughts. And so we're, we're not ever really experiencing as a culture the kind of relationships that we ought to, much less the kind that really bring glory to God. And I love this little picture I saw a van yesterday that had two little adults holding hands and eight little children on it. Now, it was a big van. Uh, uh, these, but everybody, you can have the stickers and have a terrible relationship. Uh, and so we want to get the, the stickers to flesh, uh, the, the, the Bible to flesh out those stick figures and help us know uh, what our relationships are like. And, and today, we're, we're going to do that with, a, uh, with building a foundation. We're going to build a structure uh, on some principles. And today, we're going to look at the foundational principle of them all, and that is the priority principle, is making sure that in all of our relationships, we have our priorities in order. There is an order in our relationships that is essential to keep to find the best marriages, the best friendships, the best life groups, the best kind of neighborly friendships that we can have, they all need to start with the right priorities. And so we're going to dig in to those uh, today in this passage. But something, something is not working. People are hurting. You know, when you're young, you dream about relationships like marriage. You think about them, you know. Guys and girls are very, very different. They're thinking about marriage from two different, uh, two different dreams. And they're coming at it from different perspectives. But everybody's kind of got a visual of what that's going to look like. And then they get married and they, they, they begin to, to struggle with the differences between dreams, their dream, their hopes, and the reality of what they're experiencing. Some good and some bad. And, and part of that premarital counseling is helping people know how to face some of those challenges moving forward. But what I believe this passage of Scripture does for us is something that's very important. 
the two problems that we face in our relationships are expectations going in and execution when we're in it. Expectations and execution. And if either one of those are off, we experience trouble. And guess what? They're always off a little bit. They're always off a little bit. Our expectations can't help but be different from reality. And so we all, we're always going to have to deal with the difference between what we expect to get from people and expect that we'll have to give to people in these relationships. There's always going to be a difference between that and what reality brings. And then execution, all of us struggle with execution in those relationships. And you'll notice when we, when we, when we get to the book of Ephesians, this book is written to uh, Christians. And so this passage, the apostle is assuming that you are already a born-again believer. And what does that mean? That means that you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the capacity to understand scriptural truth very well. You can learn this, and you have his strength in you to do it. And yet still, even as Christians, we are not exempt from wrong expectations and terrible execution. And so the Apostle Paul says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help these people. I've given four chapters of intense, deep doctrinal truth. I mean, I love, in fact, I preach through it. Y'all remember me preaching through Ephesians? Just say amen, make me feel good. Thank you, I feel better. And, uh, but I preached through the whole thing, and it was, I, I love this book, all of this beautiful doctrinal truth. Now he's diving into the practical, and he's saying, all right, I know that you're going to have to walk with people. You're going to have to live your life with people. I'm going to talk to husbands, wives, I'm going to talk to children, and I'm going to talk to everybody in the church on how to get along. But before I can do that, I need to give you some proper expectations. So he says, I want you to think about your, the context of your relationships. And he does this in, Luke, in Luke, Ephesians 5, verse 15. Before he gets into the relationships, he says, look. I love that word. Look. What should you do when the scripture says look? That was not a trick question. <laughs> look, look intently. Look carefully then how you walk. And you could put instead of the word walk, put live. That's what we would say in our context. Look carefully how you live your life. And the word carefully means to just be very accurate in every single step. Why? He says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You can make some very unwise decisions in life, in your relationships. You're going to have to look carefully. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Happy days. Y'all remember that show? That was a show when I was growing up. I used to love watching Happy Days. It was kind of idyllic. I used to think that, I used to picture, because it was set back in Fonzie's time. Remember Fonzie? I used to picture mom and dad. That was their day, like in the 50s and 60s. And I pictured my dad with the, and that was just, I think of those idyllic times. And I would think about, you know, back then it was just so cool. It just seemed like life was easy in the 50s and 60s. And that was kind of, that was kind of idyllic goals. And that's back when they, it just seemed better, and, and so we'd watch that show Happy Days, and I would think maybe, 
maybe I could be like the Fonz and I could just snap my finger and the girls would come. I tried that. It did not work. My dream did not come true. And so I don't know what you've set your standard for, but Paul says, listen, as you're trying to establish relationships with females, with a girl, with a wife, or with a guy, or you're going to have a family, and you're going to have children, the context, the context are evil days, difficult days. Why is that? Well, the Bible says in Genesis that God created this world, and when he created it, it was good. And you and I cooperated with Adam and Eve. We have continued to sin the way they sinned. And you know what happened? You know what happened? When they sinned, God did them a favor, but also made life very difficult. He didn't kill them instantly because of their sin, but he did, have, he did expel them from the Garden of Eden. Now, this put us in a dilemma. Because we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we still have in our spirit, in our DNA, we have kind of a, a, a flashbacks of Eden. We have, let me put it this way, our dreams are rooted in the Garden of Eden. I really believe that. That's why we hunger for perfection. That's why we hunger for beauty. That's why we want intimacy uh, as husbands and wives. We want intimacy. We want to know each other perfectly. We want beauty, and we want that kind of bliss. Why do we want that? It's rooted in Eden. It's not just evolution. It's not, it's not us trying to just procreate and, and survival the fittest. There is something very great, very spiritual in us that is driving us towards that kind of deep spiritual interest, intimacy, and we struggle with that. Why? Our dreams, our hopes are rooted in the Garden of Eden. Even though we have never been there, they're rooted there. We have this, this internal desire to have perfect fellowship with God and perfect fellowship with one another and perfect fellowship with the animals. Don't you just want to go out and hug those little tigers? Right? Why do we think they're so cute and then they want to kill us? But we know this ought, this, something ought to be different. We, we ought to be different. Well, it was. And so our dreams are rooted in Eden, but we are living life in the wilderness. Our lives are lived in the briar patch of this world. You know what Genesis says? It says that, uh, let me just read a little bit, Genesis 3.17 Adam has sinned, and God is saying, listen, Adam, here's the way it's going to be. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, she sinned, you sinned, you're both equally guilty. You've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Everywhere you walk is going to be struggle. Every relationship you have is going to be a struggle. Every child that is born is going to start off cute, but will be a struggle. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Thorns and thistles you shall eat all the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Raise those kids. 
Work your job. Try to be friends with one another. All of it. It's going to be difficult. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. At the end of all of this difficulty, you die. You say, God, that doesn't seem very kind. It is so amazing that God did not leave us in this briar patch. God the Son joined us in it. He became flesh, entered into this briar patch that we created through our sin and has given us a way out and given us forgiveness of our sins. And so we can have, in fact, he's promised that Jesus is coming back. One day, we will have a new garden, a new relationship with God that is full. And and there won't be those thorny issues and difficulties. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Everybody said, amen. So we got that to look forward to. But right now, your expectations need to be realistic. Every relationship you have is going to be thorny. Say this, every relationship I'm going to have is going to be thorny. Every person I'm going to meet is going to be prickly. All right. Now that is not an excuse. That's not an excuse for you to be prickly and thorny. You know better. But you're going in knowing that that person is going to have to overcome their thorniness and prickliness too. And to expect that in those difficult times, you're going to have to deal with that. So set our expectations right. And when you, when you want to get a little taste of heaven here on earth, understand that every little taste of heaven here on earth is going to be a little less than, isn't it? But that's okay. It makes us hunger and thirst for righteousness. It makes us hunger and thirst for Jesus. Don't let it discourage you and make you think God doesn't love you. Make it turn in thanksgiving to a God who loves you enough to give us a second chance and hope for the future. And then he puts his spirit in us to enable us to overcome the thorns, to have grace and forgive one another, and to soften us and become more and more like Jesus over time and become less and less prickly and less and less thorny because of his work in our hearts and his work in our minds. Just set your expectations right. I mean, I've tried as a dad. I, you know, as a dad, I love to do things that are kind of adventurous um, that are very inexpensive. Any dads, amen? I love adventure, but I like it to be kind of free. And um, so I had the three younger kids, and I think the twins were about seven, and... Luke would have been 11 or 12 years old, and I was getting them out of the house. I think Sarah may have said, you need to go burn some energy off with them. And, and so we went to one of our favorite places there in Marietta where we can walk down this creek, pretty wide uh, creek that leads down to the Chattahoochee River, and we could climb on the rocks, and we were climbing on the rocks and playing and having a good time and all of those kind of things. And, and then I just think, you know, i got to, I, I just, I like to go on little adventures. And I noticed there was a little bitty tributary about that wide coming down feeding this creek. And it was coming down from up into the hill there. And, and, and it looked beautiful up in there. And I said, come on, kids, let's go on this adventure. And I'm thinking adventure. I'm thinking I've got a vision 
of them loving, and, and I've experienced this. I've come out, and you know, you come out in like a meadow, or you come out, and the source of that little creek, and this is what I was envisioning, because it was a hill, I was envisioning that we would come out, and there would be a, like a waterfall, and I would be a hero, and the kids would go, ta-da, they would just be in awe. Most of the time, the kids go, can we go home? I got to use the bathroom, you know, stuff like that. But I was just I had, this, had this vision, expectation of the experience. And we get up in there, and we walk back in there 150 yards or so. We get back in there, and sure enough, we come out, out from under the woods, and the light, and, and it opens up, and ta-da, there's a, a, like a, a waterfall that's about 20, 20 feet, and it's just not a trickling waterfall. It's not heavy, and uh, it's, it's perfect for climbing. And I'm like, all right, Luke. And I know, you, you know Luke loves to climb. I said, go. he says, Dad, can I climb? I said, yeah, go ahead. Your mother's not here. Go ahead and climb. And then as, as he's climbing, the twins are walking around in the creek and having a good time. And I'm looking around. And I noticed something go. And I followed it. And I could tell that was a little snake. I said, no problem. It went away from me. And then I saw another one. And then I saw another one. And then I noticed there were many of them with their heads up through the water looking at me. This creek where it had pooled up in different places at the bottom was full of little baby water moccasins. And my children were playing around in it. I wasn't such a good dad. My vision, my, my dream was dashed. And then on top of that, I saw a golf ball sitting there. So I pick up the golf ball, put it in my pocket. I love to collect golf balls. Then I see another golf ball, put it in my pocket, another one. Then I see there's piles around the little snakes, there's piles of golf balls. And I'm thinking, where are we? There is no house to be seen. About that time, Luke gets to the top of the waterfall. He says, hey, Dad. And I said, what? He looks, he's looking around like that. He says, I think we're on a golf course. I said, well, get down there. And as he's climbing down, I realized we were next to near the Atlanta Country Club. Some of y'all lived in that area. We had wandered onto the 13th hole of the Atlanta Country Club, which is a th par three. You cannot, and it has a big gully and a waterfall. It's their signature hole. We had won, not only, there it is right there. Not only, I mean, a little piece of paradise right there, right? We weren't on the paradise. We were in that hole with the snakes and the ball. We were under fire if anybody started shooting uh, the, uh, the balls. And, in fact, a guy drove by on a cart, and he er, stopped and looked at us down there, and he goes, are y'all members here? Kind of a dumb thing to say. I said, no, we're not members here. So my dream turned into a little nightmare. So I got kids that are screaming, I got to use the bathroom. It's a mile and a half walk back, and I'm carrying two twins on my back through a snake-infested creek. But I did collect about 12 golf balls, praise Jesus. So <laughs> I had trespassed. You know, life is sort of like that, isn't it? We've got to bring reality to our expectations. But there is a way to bring our dreams to reality. And there, that... The way to do that requires priorities. And let me give you the first priority. First priority, Jesus makes everything better. If we're going to be better together, who needs to be in first place? 
Jesus. When Jesus was asked, what are my priorities? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First place. In your marriage, if you ask Jesus, what's my priority in my marriage? My wife, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. What's, what's my priority? What's, what's the first most important thing in relating to my children, Jesus? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then love your wife. Then love your neighbor. Then love your children. Who's in first? I put the name Jesus, too. You know why I'm, I'm going to use Jesus? Uh, he is God, by the way, amen? But in our culture, God means a lot of different things nowadays. You almost have to be a little more specific. Didn't used to have to be specific when you said God. Jesus said this. When you're worried about where you're going to live, what you're going to wear, what job you're going to take, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, listen to what he said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things you're worried about, they're second. He'll help you with those. He'll add those to you. But your first priority is the Lord. That's why as you move through this text, look at Ephesians 5, verse 17. Therefore, because the days are evil, here's your priority. Don't be foolish. You're going to tend to be foolish. Take your kids in snake-infested streams you'll tend to be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is don't get drunk with wine because the world's going to offer you all sorts of things to drown your sorrows convince you everything is okay to drown the fact that your dream is not coming true don't fall for that be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing making melody to heart and the lord giving thanks for everything to god the father in the name of the lord submitting to one another out of what's in first place your reverence for Christ so who's on first in every relationship gotta put God first the tendency is to put a spouse in first place the tendency is to put a child in first place or children or a job or an idol or something that makes you feel good and when you do that your relationships will become a nightmare eventually maybe not at first but they will degrade into a nightmare second of all you say well who is second if you are married the biblical pattern is that your spouse your husband or your wife must always be second 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 now, that, the reason I say that, you don't want your spouse to be in first place, but you don't want anything else to come and take second place. Keep your spouse there. And I, I thought it would be fun to have my spouse come up with me today and share a little bit about how to do that. And so let's welcome my sweet wife, Sarah, as she comes this morning. And I love the fact that she is so brave. This is not something she relishes or enjoys all that much, um, talking in front of you. Uh, but I think hearing from us is sometimes helpful. 
because um, you might look at a pastor and his wife and, and think, man, that would be a great marriage to emulate. And, and we want to try to have that kind of marriage and family that you can emulate, but we don't want you to get the wrong expectation, right? And so sometimes just letting us talk about these things helps. So share some of what the Lord's put on your heart, Sarah. I think one of the things as women is that as we deal with these expectations, there's an old movie that had a famous line in it that became famous. And um, she said to this man, Tom you, Cruise. to Tom Cruise, you complete me. And I think there is something inherent in women that we kind of like that idea of meeting somebody or finding that person that completes us. But you know what I have found as I've talked to women, whether they're Christian, not Christian, in the church, not in the church, is that we are constantly desiring the next thing. We're constantly looking for something to complete us. And w if, you, if you think about it as you grow up, you can't wait for that next thing to happen. You just think there's going to be so much wonderful stuff in that, whatever that next thing is. Maybe it's college, and then you get to college and get that kind of figured out, and then the next thing is you can't wait to be married, to meet that spouse. And then you get married, and what do you find within just a year or two? Most married couples, what do they immediately think they need to complete them? Babies, absolutely. <laughs> then they think they need to have babies, and then... Then you get so excited about those babies and you can't wait for what? For them to grow up. And then they grow up and you can't wait for them to leave the house, <laughs> right? And then they leave the house and then you can't wait for them to come back. And then they come back and you once again find yourself, you can't wait for them to what? Leave again. <laughs> And then you can't wait for grandchildren, and you can't wait for retirement. Our, our human nature is constantly looking for something to fulfill us and to complete us. And if we can find that fulfillment, and if we can be, as Colossians says, complete in Christ, then all that other stuff that's added to our lives we realize that that does not complete us. That just adds joy and things for us to enjoy while we're walking here on this journey. It's been a, it's been a you know, I, I find that this is a continual growth experience at every different stage of life. And we're kind of in that stage where some of our kids have left and some haven't. And, um, but all throughout, it is, I'm continually reminded that that a relationship with another human being cannot bring to me what I can only get from Jesus. And that when, when that relationship is good and I am finding my joy and satisfaction in the Lord, I find a lot more joy and satisfaction in my kids and a lot more joy and satisfaction in my wife. But if I put my wife in first place, I'm putting her somewhere she is not capable of fulfilling. She is not designed to fill God's shoes in my life. And part of our issues as, as Christians even is that we're putting kids in first place, jobs in first place, wives there in a place they can't 
It's just not even fair to put them there. And then you get mad at them if they don't fulfill the job of making you happy. They were never designed to make you happy. God alone is really the source of that kind of contentment. And so many expectations are just natural as we enter into marriage. I know what some of those expectations can be preconceived by your background. You're both, as you come together in marriage, a husband and a wife, you've been brought up in two radically different families. And one of the things we love to do is in our premarital counseling is just even talking about the roles that the mom and dad have filled in the home. Because even that can create expectations in your marriage. I know one of the things is my dad was meticulous about the way he cared for cars in our, in our family. And his yard. And he was meticulous in how he cared for everything. And I was very used to, even when I was in college, I would bring my car home and my dad would gas it, he would clean it, he would, and when I say clean it, my idea of cleaning my car is going by the car wash to getting it done like at the gas station here. My dad wouldn't even use one of those because it was bad for the paint and bad for the car. He had to hand wash the car and polish the wheels and polish the seats so that when you got in, you nearly slid onto the other side of the car. <laughs> I mean, he really took great pride in this. Well, when we got married, and, and he, would, he was so proud, he would say, I've got your car all ready for you. Well, guess what? When I got married and I was living in Texas, I married someone who doesn't even take the car to the car wash. It rains. God washes. Yes. Amen. So when we first got married, I expected that little car cleaning fairy to come and clean my car, and he didn't. And I found that to be disconcerting and um <laughs> well you said that nicely I disconcerting did. <laughs> i tell you what she saw it as is that i didn't love her because her father that was her that was one of the few ways that her dad mm -hmm. ever showed her that he loved her and so she had grown up seeing those couple of acts of service because he didn't verbalize it in other ways he wasn't uh he didn't show love through touch and words of affirmation it was through that kind of service. So she had just learned that's how a man loves his wife. And, and so I had to re-educate her quickly that uh, <laughs> uh, I, what I had to do was I had to learn to keep the cars cleaner. And so we have to come, and you look at that, where's that thorny issue and why is it thorny? And I've got to make compromises. And her, but that's just one example of many. Another one is that the very things that attracted you to your spouse, once you get married, you can find the very things that attracted you to your spouse can drive you crazy once you've actually married them. And I know an example is that I get excited really easy. And, um, and, and I loved her buoyant personality. And she just really gets excited about things and is effusive and... and uh, you know how Sarah feels if you look at her face. I mean, she just, she just is out there. But then there's so many times I'm like, please don't show how you feel. You know, now's not a really good time to just to show everybody how you feel. 
Well, she's designed that way. The very thing that I thought was so attractive, I've sometimes tried to hold back. And then she liked that I was laid back, and I used to sit on the couch and play the guitar and sing her songs, and she thought that was cool. And now when there's lots of projects that need to be done at the house <laughs> and he wants to sit at the piano and play and sing and many of you have said, oh, it must be so wonderful to have a husband that just sits at the piano and plays and sings. And I nod graciously and say, <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. Um, but usually I'm more concerned about when is he going to get done so we can get that to-do list done. And even on the um, story that he was telling about adventure, I loved that he was adventurous. I'm not very adventurous by nature. And so I love that when I did stuff with him, it was always fun and adventurous. But as we had children, then he really pushed that my <laughs> safety, wanting personal safety, especially for my children, so hiking became really quite miserable for me because I was really afraid, a lot of it, because I wouldn't have thought climbing that waterfall was a good idea, which it wasn't. Yes. Or being around the snakes with the young children, that would have probably made me physically sick. So. Um, That's why I didn't tell her about the snakes for a long time. Yeah, she didn't hear about that for a while. So. And that's why, honestly, I didn't always go hiking with him because I kind of had this idea of what I can't see can't hurt me. So whatever's going on that I don't know about is always better than yeah. me watching it take place. And I'm yelling, get down, get down. David, make him get down. And what's so funny is we just recently climbed a waterfall together and um, it ruined the whole experience for me. I will never do that again as a family. Yes. We did that with five teenagers, uh, or older than teenagers, And I too. wanted us all to hold hands. And she wanted us and five from 24, 23, all these men and a couple of teenagers wanted us to hold hands up a waterfall. And uh, Those were the rules. They all, looked at, they all looked at me and said, Dad, do something. We can't hold hands. There's people around here watching. But anyway. But when, here's what you do. When we decided to get married, I, I told God and I told her it was uh, in sickness and health, for better or for worse. Uh, when our feelings of safety don't, dis, don't match. When our feelings of uh, what's fun and what's good time spent together, does, our feelings of what's expensive and what isn't don't match or what's a waste of time or what all those things we have to figure out how to work through those thorny issues and and they don't go away they just kind of change and morph and as you age guess what there's new ones around the corner and you have to be committed to the Lord first but you have to be absolutely sold out to fight through those issues if you're gonna have a good relationship Another expectation, especially as I'm getting older, that I find with women my age is they, we really get married and we pour all of our investment into our children. And then when our kids leave home, we look at our spouse and we don't know them anymore because we haven't taken the time to know that person. And you know what happens after 20 years? People change. I think differently at my age than I did when we first met. 
and I feel differently, I think differently. Um, you can call it whatever, midlife crisis, whatever it is, but we as human beings, we change. And a lot of times someone will say, well, he's just not the man that I married. Absolutely. Because the man that you married was a 25-year-old that hadn't been exposed to life and, and the different things. And that commitment to marriage means those expectations, if you're spending time together and really making that commitment to be together and let that person grow, let them change a little bit, let them go back to school, let them change careers, inspire each other, don't restrict each other with your expectations. Yeah, and don't take a 20-year break from dating. Don't take a break from fighting to find time alone. And that was very difficult for us because we, we've got a, I've got a weekend job and she would normally have weekday jobs. And so we, we don't have a lot of times to get together. And we always had five kids for most of those times. So we had to fight hard and to find ways to be alone. And, to, and, and you, you don't have to have a lot of money to make that happen. You can find ways if you work hard at it. You just have to make it a priority. And that's why that's the first principle. What you prioritize is what you are going to keep pure. What you prioritize is what you are going to budget for and fight for and calendar for. And you got to put God as your first priority. A lot of people have flipped it around, and nowadays they put family in front of God. And, uh, and, and your family is important, but your relationship and your walk with the Lord is so critical um, to making your family life better. And so that's been a part of our, our journey. Anything else on your heart? Well, if you'll look at that final, that final uh, priority, it is fight hard for both. Fight hard for both. When you are on your deathbed, and I have been there with so many people in hospice. I've been in those rooms with people. I don't know how many times. That's just a part of my life. You know what matters? Your spouse and your family. That's really what matters at that moment. It doesn't matter how many boats you had, how much fun you had, what trips you went on. It is those key relationships that you want in that room with your final breath. And with those final breaths, it's been wonderful to be in those rooms with people who have invested in their marriage and invested in their children. There's a big difference than when it's a room full of strangers. So make the Lord first make your spouse and fight to keep her or him second and i love this passage of scripture look at ephesians 5 here's just your here's your your list of applications as you walk out it's right there in the scriptures and it's clear it is as clear as day let's look at those together ephesians 5 verse 17 do not be foolish but what Understand what the will of the Lord is. How are you going to do that? You've got to make studying your Bible 
finding life groups, being a part of a church, growing in your faith, you've got to make that a priority to understand God's will. Or you will be directed by your, the will of your own flesh, or you'll be directed by the cultural will that just manipulates and pushes us all around. You've got to fight, and you'll make foolish decisions with your spouse and your family if you don't fight to grow in your faith. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Look at verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine. And maybe wine is not the issue. And what is the issue here? It is that we are looking for something to fill us with a sense of satisfaction. We're looking for that something that's missing. No, when you feel like, man, I just need another donut. <laughs> or I need another drink or I need to have this type of entertainment, or I need to fulfill this fantasy. Know, what it's, know what's driving that. The roots of that is in Eden. You are missing that perfect contentment that was in the Garden of Eden. And if you're foolish, you will try to find that and fill it with, with bad things or even good things in the wrong place. So don't get drunk with wine. That is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, my kids love it when I sing in the car. How about you? <laughs> what does this mean? You need to find ways, make it a priority to to speak God's word, to know God's word, to sing God's word, to get that music into your life. But he's talking about worship. Make worship a priority. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father. And then look at verse 21. This is where we're going to go next week. Then, when you've got God first, spouse second, you've got, you, you're, you, are, you, are, you have your expectations set in reality, then, you can begin to execute that relationship by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and eyes closed, just a, just a time to think about priorities. Would you just Ask the Lord maybe to point that out to you. Maybe you already know. My priorities are out of alignment. I'm not pursuing Christ first. Maybe you are looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. You're singing that song, U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And you're looking to find contentment joy in a person who is absolutely not designed to give you that maybe today's invitation is just for you to turn your heart towards the Lord and say God I'm not good at this I tend to run from this but I really want to put you first in everything I want, you, I want to put you before my job I want to put you before my financial concerns I want to put you before my spouse, my kids. Would you put God first? Well, let me just tell you, everything, we're talking about being better. Everything is better when Jesus is first.
Death is better when Jesus is first. Life is better when Jesus is first. Marriage is better when Jesus is first. Parenting is better when Jesus is first. Is it going to be perfect in this thorny life, this thorny world? No. But it's so much better. And if you're not getting better with Jesus, you know what? You're getting bitter. You're getting bitter. I know what that's like. I'm capable of going down that path, being bitter with other people because I've put them in a place they can't be, and I have put God out of his place. Maybe this is just your call today to just realign your priorities. And maybe some of you need to start dating that spouse. You've been so focused on children for a couple of decades that you are scared to death to be stuck alone. Maybe you're just get starting, you're getting started in marriage and you're wondering what you can do to make that better. Well, we're going to continue this series and we'll be pointing to things you can do and encouraging you how to find that, that kind of marriage that will bring you what you can have in Christ. But let me just say this. This message in this book of Ephesians was written to people who have Christ in their hearts. Can I just tell you that's the first thing you need to do. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never trusted him, that's your first step today. 